the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Tuesday, December 14th, 2021. Something hasn't been sitting with me well, and it comes out of the Jussie Smollett affair. Perhaps it goes to the issue I think is foundational to any notion of justice the English language has constructed, to wit, accountability. After Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, and nearly everyone else famous condemned the ersatz attempted noosing of Jussie Smollett, one couldn't help but also notice the attendant and contemporaneous indictment of America that went along with it. It was intended, after all. As Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, put it in a tweet, the racist homophobic attack on Jussie Smollett is an affront to our humanity. No one should be attacked for who they are or who they love. Um, Let's see. Another was, I pray that Jesse has a speedy recovery and that justice is served. May we all commit to ending this hate once and for all. Actors and actresses said things like, this is America today. This is what happens in Donald Trump's America. Now that we know in the full shining clear of light that none of this was true, that it was staged with paid actors by an actor, Where is the sincere and serious apology for the indictment on America and Americans? I was having a conversation with some folks last night about how much race talk and charges of racism are so prevalent today. And though it may be hard to reach back, it's actually fairly new. The effort to turn policies and politics we don't like into acts and professions of racism, so to voce or even as dog whistles, has so gripped America not sure if there's a turning back, and it's frightening. Jeff Jacoby has pointed out that in 1958, 48% of white Americans polled by Gallup said that if black people came to live next door, they would be likely to move. 50% of white Americans said that. By 1978, it went from 50% to 13% who said that they would want to move if a black person moved into their neighborhood. By 1997, 1%. That's, of course, only one measure of racism's profound decline in America. Friendship might be another. In 1964, a mere 18% of white Americans claimed to have a friend who was black. Four decades later, Gallup found that the proportion of interracial friendships had more than quadrupled. 82% of whites said they had a close non-white friend. And 88% of blacks reporting having close friends who are not black. Or let's go back to what Barack Obama himself has said. The year was 2007. Barack Obama was a U.S. senator about to run for president of the United States. The place was Selma, Alabama, at the infamous Edmund Pettus Bridge. Here is what he said, and I quote, As great as Moses was, despite all that he did leading a people out of bondage, he didn't cross over the river to see the promised land. God told him, your job is done. You'll see it. 
You'll be at the mountaintop, and you can see what I've promised. But what I promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and I promised to you, you can see that I will fulfill that promise. But you won't go there. We're going to leave it to the Joshua generation to make sure it happens. There's still some battles that need to be fought, some rivers that need to be crossed. Like Moses, the task was passed on to those who might not have been as deserving, might not have been as courageous, find themselves in front of the risks that their parents and their grandparents and great-grandparents had taken. But that doesn't mean they still don't have a burden that they have to shoulder, that they don't have some responsibilities the previous generation, the Moses generation, pointed to. That generation took us 90% of the way there, but we still got that 10% in order to cross over to the other side, close quote. Let me repeat that. The Martin Luther King Jr. generation took us 90% of the way there, but we still got that 10% in order to cross over to the other side, close quote. So knowing we are not a perfect nation because we are made up of imperfect people. We, that was 2007, by 2007, according to Barack Obama, got 90% of the way there. Not 50%, not 80%, 90%. And that was before we elected him twice, a black man, as president. Somehow, somewhere, There must be a unified understanding that electing a black man president against the two most famous white politicians in America or perhaps the world, there must be the view that we added a bit to that 90% by doing that. No? 91? 92? Did we get it to 94 or more? I can't say, but until November of 2008, the notion that this country would elect a black man president was the goal of understanding we were no longer or would no longer be a racist country. And so many leftists at that time and before said it would never happen. We could never elect a black man president of the United States. Conservatives never believed that. We knew they were wrong. We said it again and again that they were wrong. Let me tell you a small story about a big thing. A few years prior to all that, about seven years before, Alan Keyes was running for president. I was at a country music fest in Washington, D.C. A big Chevy truck, jacked up, pulling in to park next to me. It was wrapped, painted, in a Confederate flag and had Virginia license plates. And it had four bumper stickers, all of which said, Keys for President. And I remember thinking to myself, that's interesting. Southern rockers, white, with a Confederate flag. And their candidate for president is not George Bush or Gary Bauer or Steve Forbes or Dan Quayle or John Ashcroft, all men running for president at that time, all white, all evangelical, but a black man who was a Catholic. Of course, if you didn't see those bumper stickers or think that way, you'd have thought Virginia Confederate flag racists. But that's what conservatives were about and knew. They knew if a black man walked into a conservative or Republican town hall, he'd be the most popular man there, just as the left and liberals would tell that man he would not be welcome at such a meeting. So my point, don't all those who indicted America and Americans for years, especially after the Jussie Smollett hoax, owe this country and its countrymen an apology? Shouldn't those who spoke out against America and Americans for being responsible for the lynching, those who blamed Donald Trump and Donald Trump's America, don't they 
owe an apology? And would it be so hard? Why couldn't Joe Biden or Kamala Harris give a speech that went something like this? When we first heard of the attack on Jesse Smollett, we, of course, believed him. And we indicted a systematically racist country that allowed for that kind of attack. And we were wrong. It's an interesting thing in American history with race. Stories about black men doing things they never did. Innocent black men being lynched and harmed for those false charges and stereotypes that existed then. They were legion. You even know some of the names. In truth, in history, we had, of course, the terrible story of Emmett Till and others. In fiction, we had... Tom Robinson, and To Kill a Mockingbird, and many other characters in many other books. But we've come a long way since then. White lawyers and judges and justices of the Supreme Court all helped change our laws to comport with our founding sentiments, just as Martin Luther King taught us they should and expected they would. And once the law was settled and the culture became more integrationists, we all truly became, out of many, one. But now we've unlearned those lessons. We accepted a false narrative again to indict, this time not an individual, as too often happened to black men in this country, but to indict an entire nation and sometimes a political party or its leader. This is not the right way to go. This is not how to build a healthy future. We were wrong and we recognized the talk of this country being systematically racist simply could not possibly have twice elected a black man or witnessed such amazing achievement by so many minorities here. So much so that Nigerians and Barbadians and Ghanaians and Trinidadians and Tobaganians have a median household income well above the American average. Ghanaian Americans, to take one example, earn more than several specific white groups such as Dutch Americans, French Americans, Polish Americans, British Americans, and even Russian Americans. This is not something that most people know, but they should. This is not something we should be ashamed of. We should celebrate it as indicative of just how very great this country is. Because we and our children should know what those African Americans know. No American could really move to those countries and achieve the same thing. Not any more than those who moved here to call America home and themselves Americans could have done so on their own in those places. For this is a special place, with failures and with imperfections, but the indictment that we are a regularly racist place, surviving on privilege of one race over another, is just another myth that was exploded years ago and can only serve to re-racialize us and pit American against American again. This is why false charges of hate crimes are so insidious and why too much exaggerated talk for political purposes regarding our race issues makes us so gullible as to believe false narratives and untrue stories. America is a place, as we argue, that can be looked at through a variety of different lenses. One that should be shattered is that this is a crummy place with worse people. It isn't. Guilt is personal. But group libel is just that, an attack on people we do not know based on a word we used to know more and haven't used a lot lately. A word we should probably bring back. The word is prejudice. It means to prejudge. We wouldn't have a criminal justice system if prejudging were our national ethic. And we've worked too hard to attain fairness in the very system 
for us to allow us, any of us, to prejudge others or groups that those others belong to, especially the beautiful group most people in the world understand to be beautiful, Americans. Wouldn't that be a great speech? I get it. The acolytes of Jeremiah Wright would never have it. But that doesn't mean it wouldn't be the right thing to do. And if we truly want to get past all that divides us, a little accountability from those who have envenomed us as a people, as a country, as a system, would go, it seems to me, a very long way. Accountability, after all, is the starting point of any system of rationality, including our justice system. It should be the same for those who launched and launch false accusations today. It won't happen because we live in a time of fiction, posturing, and theater. The sad thing is, if the theater were at least portraying a true story, we'd be past and beyond this society of racial grievance we've built anew for political purposes. And that's kind of the deepest shame, the leverage of racial fear and prejudice for political expediency, even when the former don't exist, while people think the latter so necessary. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Uh, 602-508-0960 is the number. The um, the major networks, along with CNN, are, of course, uh, rubbing their hands together over the fact that former White House Chief of Staff Donald Trump's last or final Chief of Staff Mark Meadows is to be voted on to be held in contempt of Congress. Um there's a lot less to this story than they're making it. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a heads up. Eric Holder, who is the attorney general to Barack Obama, was voted in contempt of Congress. Anyone remember that leading the news? Anyone remember that at all? At all? The question is, is it a small thing or should Eric of Eric should have should Eric Holder have been held more accountable by being held in contempt of Congress, which is a criminal referral to the Department of Justice, which they can decide to prosecute or not. Surprise, surprise. In Eric Holder's case, they did not. I don't think and I'm willing to be corrected. I don't think. Well, maybe one person in the 80s, but outside of maybe one person in the 80s. I don't think anyone in the 20th century even went to jail or prison for being held in contempt of Congress. But, of course, that's what they're all saying about Mark Meadows because he refuses to testify before the kangaroo court known as the January 6th Investigation Committee. So to give you a concept of what's going on here, I was watching some excerpts on CBS of texts that were being sent from some Fox News hosts, in one case, Laura Ingram, to Mark Meadows, saying this needs to be called off by the president along those lines, tell Donald Trump to call this off and tell his supporters or whoever to stop. 
You saw another text from Donald Trump Jr. saying much the same thing. And CBS is playing this as if it's some kind of indictment or evidence of guilt. I think they're nuts. I think they're absolute nuts. If you were to if you were to ask someone, you know, name me a couple, a handful, top ten list of Donald Trump's most ardent supporters, I, I'm sure Don Jr. or Laura Ingram would be on that list. I'm sure they would be. And if they weren't and someone suggested it, they'd say, yeah, Don, Don Jr. and Laura Trump need to be on that list. And they didn't really show anyone else's texts. Maybe others weren't sent. Maybe the, that was the worst they could find, so to speak. But doesn't the revelation of those texts and messages from the likes of Don Jr. and Laura Ingram actually substantiate what we've been saying, which is there is no person of any recognition or respectability in the conservative movement or Republican Party, no one who could be identified by more than five or six people as having supported what happened on January 6th? Did they not realizing they were exculpating the conservative movement by playing those texts? Now, that was on the heels of another revelation CNN was really, really proud of. Um, And it was a leak uh, that CNN found uh, from... Mark Meadows. And it's headlined, Meadows said National Guard would be ready to protect pro-Trump people before Capitol insurrection. So the story is that Mark Meadows sent an email before the rally on January 6th saying the National Guard would be present to protect pro-Trump people in the lead up to the rally. On January 6th. Why do they think this is indicting? In discerning a state of mind, I'll tell you exactly what that means. That means that the president's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, thought that if there were going to be any violence whatsoever, it would be against Trump's supporters and that the National Guard would be at the ready to protect the perceptibly peaceful protesters that were going to show up on January 6th. Am I misreading this at all? I'm not. Do you sometimes wonder if the entire world has lost its mind? Do they even know how ridiculous they sound by sending out, by by disseminating outward in the media these texts and emails that actually exculpate the Republican Party and conservative movement, including Trump supporters, including his son, his biggest supporters on Fox News and his chief of staff. They have no idea. They have no idea. Do I think it's a mistake for Mark Meadows not to go to the committee and testify? No, no, it's a kangaroo court. I would not submit myself to that indignity. It's an indignity born of illegitimacy. I'm Seth. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. As we do every day at 34 past the hour, we have our culture and economy update with John Dombrowski of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website, and he hosts his own radio show right here on 960 AM every Saturday morning at 7. Saturday morning at 7 a.m. Start your weekend right and smart with John Dombrowski. John, how are you this Tuesday? Fantastic. Thank you. That's an early 7 a.m., yes. Is it an early 7 a.m.? For me, yeah, it's a little What time do you usually wake up on, like, a Sunday or if you're not doing the show on a Saturday? Six o'clock. Yeah, it's not. We're we're (laughs) an early people. Conservatives wake up early. I know. We're ready to take on the day. Yeah, we are because we're optimistic and we want to go do things. Exactly. By the way, doing things was something I wanted to kind of run by you, doing mm-hmm. things. Right. Evidently, I was reading in the Wall Street Journal, it's increasingly difficult lately, the past year or so, to get information on our economy, particularly having to do with job gains, and I suppose one could say conversely job losses, but mostly we're, we're looking at job gains these days. Um, because uh, the government, were, uh, as according to the Wall, St- according to the Wall Street Journal, is getting less and less data right now from employers because of the disruption to the normal way of doing business. So it turns out that our statistics might just be a little off or a little harder to come by. And I was going to ask you if you're finding any of that. You know, you rely. You're you're like a you're like a how, how can I put this? I mean this as a compliment. You're like the center of a vacuum with a lot of hoses feeding it, right? <laughs> yes. You just suck up a lot of information. And I was curious if government data was a little hard for you. Um, and as others are reporting, it's hard to get some of the government data that they're used to getting. Well, if you notice, oftentimes in any of the government reports that we get, whether it's on jobs, whether it's on uh, anything with the economy, we always get a revised – Yes, uh, report, yes. Right? Good point, because it lags, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, good point. So it's what they what was reported, but then ultimately a month lagging, you'll find out what a little closer to what the actual uh, data ha- was for that period of time that they're reporting on. So, yeah, I would imagine that it's very difficult. And you know, I, I'm I heard a business owner the other day. Uh, being interviewed again with some of these new mandates that are being put in place again yeah. in New York and some of these other states. And it is just terrible what they're putting small business owners through. You know, they just went through 2020 when we had the main thrust of COVID and the shutdowns that occurred. Then we had all the additional mandates that occurred. Then we started to see some, uh, you know, lifting of these mandates. And now right back into it again, a lot of these business owners are. How could they possibly support uh, themselves, support the communities that they serve, and support their uh, employees? It's, it's, it's very difficult. So I can imagine that these inf- the information, the data, especially on jobs, yeah. is going to be spotty, and it's not going to necessarily be accurate. I, that, that's evidently right, and that's a good point too about lagging. Uh, mm-hmm. The way government takes in uh, statistics and puts and pushes them out, it is it is too often a very a very lagging indicator, as as the term of art goes. And the other thing that I was reading in the Wall Street Journal, I wanted to get your take on because this was um, this is interesting. I, I I didn't realize this. But evidently, um, Americans in the slightly higher age category, 65 and older, um, have been 
a large part, a larger part of the workforce than many of us recognized or realized. But over the course of COVID, past year and a half, that's been receding quite a bit, mm-hmm. understandably for right. for you know health reasons. But also, a lot of younger workers are staying home and aren't even taking on remote work. And this seems to be an increasing challenge. We've talked about it before with the young. I didn't realize that this was a, a larger problem with the elder, uh, the older population, but evidently it is. Yeah, and part of, I think, of this, again, has been the mandates that have occurred. Mm-hmm. And I'm hearing this still, Seth, today. Uh, many people who are coming to see me, uh, potentially the, the idea of a mandate that they would have to be vaccinated, uh, you know, even if they didn't want to for religious reasons or medical reasons, whatever they may yeah. be. But the mandates are the pressure is is coming. And many of these people are willing to make their stand. And this would be their final stand with their employer to say, I'm not doing it. And if you're going to have to cut me or, or give me, a, a you know, a, my pink slip, yeah. then then you know what? I'm sticking to my my uh, guns and I'm not going to not going to budge on this. And well, so, let me let me tie it back to you yeah. then for a second for mm-hmm. those that may be in those modes of thinking, you know, maybe 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 they actually can put together a plan that allows yeah. them to do so. And, and, and you'd be an ideal person to talk to about very that. Very true. Thank yeah. you for that. Yes, yeah. that's what we're doing. We're yeah. we're working with these people to help them see what the numbers look like if they will be able to uh, you know, make sure that this works for them. That's perfect. John Dombrowski, Grand Canyon Planning. Give him a call if that's someone uh, you, if someone you know is in that position or if you are in that position. Yep. Go to our website, grandcanyonplanning.com, Securities and Advisory Services, offered to Client One Securities LLC. Member Fender and Sipic and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thanks. Nicely done, John Dombrowski. Thank you, Thank you sir. Bye-bye. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Really not a great uh, great time to uh, to do this, but, you know, I just, everything gets discussed here. <laughs> and have you noticed that, I don't know if there's a phrase for this of some sort or another, but certain phrases, words, you haven't heard in forever or maybe once a little bit here and there, and then they just kind of, suffuse conversations like you can't you just can't turn your head without seeing that word or phrase being deployed remember particularly some years ago in the nine early 90s the word avuncular was just everywhere and it's not a very useful word it means like an uncle but for some reason i guess people liked the sound of it or the pronunciation or the way it looked on paper and everything was a everyone was avuncular the one i'm 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 thinking we need to do away with is goat not the animal. I love the animal. I love goats. I've tried to get goats, but the powers that be keep getting in my way. So <laughs> I have no goats. But the the acronym for which it stands, which is greatest of all time, are you guys here, tired of hearing it? Are you noticing it like me that it seems to be everywhere? Everyone's a goat now? I was looking up the derivation. Bill, have you heard this phrase just thrown around loosely about everything now as a positive notation? It's not that something's good. It's not even that it's great. It's that he or she or it is the goat, the greatest of all time. Am I wrong? It's out there a lot. You've seen it. Too You've much. heard it. I was looking up. Do you, 
if you had to guess where it came from, you might you might get the right answer. You might just stumble upon the right answer where it originally is tied to when you think about who would. Uh, let's try it, Bill. Have you looked up this question, this query, this concern? I'm not surprised. I'm sure no one else has either. But but would if you had to guess about whom it was said first, do you have or who used it first about themselves? Do you have a candidate? Muhammad Ali. Did you really just guess that off the top of your head? It's the it right answer. Been that long. That's exactly the right answer. That's exactly the right answer. Well done, sir. You know. You know your characters and caricatures in sports. Yes, uh, his wife actually about him, um, and then they in actually incorporated a company. I think it was called Goat Inc. or Goat LLC or something like that to merchandise. You know his stuff. More recently, um, it was uh, it was revived to talk about to describe Tom Brady. Uh, that I think probably most people. Who know uh, who knows sporting games would have figured out, but yeah, good call on the uh, good call on the Muhammad Ali. That's where it comes from. I have nothing against um, Tom Brady, uh, Muhammad Ali's politics. I think were awful, but that aside, I have to tell you, I it's just if everything's the greatest and everyone's now the greatest of all time, then no one's the greatest of all time. You understand that point, anyway. I just it's been on my mind and. Um, I process my resentments here and allow you to do the same. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Can I call back that point I was making about Mark Meadows earlier? The CNN, NBC, all these revelations that he sent a memo, uh, an email stating that the National Guard would be available and present on January sixth to protect the Trump protesters. And CNN and NBC and the others are making a big deal out of this as if it's a smoking gun to prove what? To prove that he knew that the protesters were going to turn violent? No. To prove that he knew a protest would turn violent? No. To prove that the National Guard would be distracted from some kind of Manichaean, Escher-like prestidigitation where the people could storm the Capitol and no National Guard would be present because they'd be distracted in their protection of the peaceful protesters who supported Donald Trump? Is that what they're trying to communicate to us? I I think it's crazy, but don't be don't be so skeptical as to think that's not the impression they're trying to give you. I just I don't know how I get on these lists. I, I don't think it's Merely because I'm a radio host, maybe you get on them too. But I get fundraising emails from all kinds of candidates from all over the country. Some Democrats, some uh, Democrats in all but name. One of them, I guess, running for Senate against Mike Lee is this sorry excuse for a political leader named Evan McMullen. And he put out a uh, email I just received during the break. And it says, according to multiple outlets, White House officials allegedly said the National Guard would be present on January 6th to protect those involved in the scheme and that many more would be available on standby. No, no, nothing says that. Nothing talks about a scheme. We know this because CNN actually printed the email from Mark Meadows, which said that they would be there to protect the protesters. In other words, people 
attending a perfectly peaceful protest protected by the First Amendment and all American history on the grounds uh, in front of the White House where Donald Trump and others spoke were being protected. Now, why might they need protection, you may ask? Why might pro-Trump supporters need protection at a pro-Trump rally? Because they have been subject to violence. Because people like Chris Cuomo said, who said protests need to be peaceful as people engaged in torching and burning and rioting all that which they didn't like because senators and house members can't play a softball game in public if they happen to be republican lest they get shot at because people like cory booker and people like maxine waters were telling their supporters to go out and harass trump supporters because people like andy no spelled uh, NGO, Andy No, end up in the hospital for covering, covering Antifa rallies and riots because people like Don Lemon said anti-fascists are nothing but what they say they are in their name against fascism. How can they be violent? Right. Yes, Trump supporters, Republicans need security Two, you tell me the last time a conservative speaker of any prominence whatsoever was able to go to a college campus without having a retinue of security that the organization bringing him had to pay for, which is itself a chilling effect because the schools make it so expensive for the club, they just say, oh, well, never mind. Tell me the last time a liberal or leftist went on a campus requiring security to protect them from the mobs of educated college students. Almost never because it's almost every day. It's almost every day. They go to classes led by them. This notion that saying the National Guard was protecting peaceful protest. You know what? Republicans who peaceful, peacefully protest march, have opinions, think the First Amendment applies to them. Yeah, they're not wrong. It does. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Uh, Mike is in Carefree. Hello, Mike. How are you? Mike, are you there, brother? Mike, once, twice? No. Okay. Uh, did anyone, by the way, uh, hear the Mike Gallagher show this morning? Great show. And uh, Mike had a caller who um, was a self, uh, self-declared self Democrat, and she, and she was saying uh, how, how, how much she liked Joe Biden, how much Joe Biden wasn't getting a fair shake by the media. Mike was obviously, uh, you know, pushing back on that. And 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 Mike started asking her specifics and she said, what is it you don't like about Donald Trump? Because she said, you know, Donald Trump, she hated Donald Trump's ideology. And Mike said, well, what is it about Donald Trump's ideology? And she said everything. He said, give me an example. This often happens, by the way. This is kind of debate and conversation coaching here on my part. This often happens. And Mike's right to start with that question. What specifically did you not like? Now, this woman said after everything, and Mike pushed her a little bit, 
she um she said she started with with January 6th. She said let's start with January 6th and the six people that died to which Gallagher told her well six people didn't die. The only person who died was a pro Trump supporter. And she said no, the officer who was hit in the head. And he goes, "Yeah, that's fake news. He died a day later from what the coroner called natural causes, and there was, in fact, no hitting of the head. Do you understand – this is why I guess I'm so obsessed with the issue or focused on the issue perhaps of accountability. Do you understand when CNN puts out something about Brian Sitnik being hit in the head with a fire extinguisher, that carries the day because that matches what people expect and want to hear – and then everything after it, proving it to be completely untrue, is ignored or forgotten. And Mike walked her through it. Mike walked her through the story of Brian Sitnik. And her response was, well, if it weren't for the riot, perhaps he wouldn't have died from a stroke. To which Mike had a pretty good answer. He said, the stroke was natural causes. And if cops die from strokes from doing their job or being in a situation like a protest or a riot, wouldn't you see an awful lot more stories about that sort of thing? So then the woman said, well, I didn't like Trump on China. So she leaves that, doesn't care about the facts, and says, I didn't like what Trump was doing on China. And Mike said to her, what about China? She goes, just the way he engaged them. So Mike had a great question said, do you like what Joe Biden's doing about China? And you know what she said? She said, I'm not exactly sure what Joe Biden's doing about China. You know what? Just ask the calm, basic, specific questions. More often than not, you're going to find that it's a feeling you're arguing with and not a fact. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.